0: Hello everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. We are on to episode 92, which I can't even believe we're almost at a hundred. That is crazy to me. I never thought that I would be doing this many episodes when I started this journey, but I have to tell you, I enjoy talking with all these different guests and hearing from all of you about how the Addicted Mind podcast has been helpful and insightful. And gives people good information about addiction treatment. So that's been awesome. And for all the people out there that have written a review on iTunes, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for doing that as well. All right, on to the next order of business. I want to hear your message of hope. Go to theaddictedmind.com, click on the tab on the side and record a 90-second audio clip of your message of hope about recovery, changing your life. I want people to hear that change is possible. I want them to be able to hear it, not just from my voice, but from your voice as well. I think this is super important. A lot of times when we are at our darkest moments, it's the voice of someone else who has been through it and gotten through it that carries us through. So if that's a fit for you, go to theaddictivemind.com, click on the tab on the side and record your 90 second audio clip. You can do it anonymously. If you want to share your name, you can do that too. And hopefully I can get that onto the Addicted Mind podcast. So it's not just my voice, but other voices out there. It's your voice as well. So if you have a message of hope to share, please do it. All right, let's talk about our guest today. Her name is Rebecca Williams, and she is going to talk about mindfulness. She's an award winning author, psychologist, and leader in the field of wellness and recovery from mental health and addiction. She's been doing this for over 20 years and focused on helping people build resilience and embracing well being. Now, I love mindfulness. It's a center part of my life and been crucial to my healing. So I was so happy to have Rebecca come on and talk about it and share her wisdom. So I think it's a great episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. And let's go ahead and start it. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind. And my guest today is Rebecca Williams. Rebecca, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me, Dwayne. My name is Rebecca Williams. I'm a licensed psychologist. I lived and worked in San Diego, California, beautiful San Diego for 25 years, and just recently came out to Savannah, Georgia to be around wildlife and beauty and nature. It's gorgeous out here. My path to about going into addiction really was about My family struggles with addiction, especially my mother who's now gone, but she struggled with addiction. And so I come from this, from a family, history angle and wanted to learn more and more about it studied it in college master's degree also in counseling psychology as well as a phd at university of california santa barbara
0: so this is very personal to you
1: yes it's personal and professional so it's a nice combination yeah
0: i think that's somehow uh, how it kind of works right because this is personal to me as well but also professional
1: exactly yeah for sure
0: all right so Let's talk about, just go, we'll just jump right in and talk about one of the things that you do and one of your specialties is mindfulness. This is a topic that I love. Mindfulness has been fundamental in my healing. So I'd love to hear everything you have to say about it and how you discovered it and how you found it and how it's helped you and how you use it to help others.
1: Right. Great question. I agree. Mindfulness is paramount to my healing and my ability to be a psychologist. Essentially, I came through mindfulness uh, personally through yoga. And that was before yoga was cool, which is in the 80s. (laughs) Now it's real cool. But back then it was just kind of a one-off and not everyone knew about it or did it. And I just learned about it and actually started teaching yoga in the 80s. And then from there moved into mindfulness and meditation. First started, like a lot of people didn't know what the heck I was doing. I bought a a meditation cushion and I thought I had it all taken care of, but I didn't. So yeah, you know, my just like a lot of people, you go into meditation not knowing what's going on, if you're doing it right. And I came in with a sitting on my yoga meditation cushion with, you know, my coffee, my newspaper, my cereal. I was all just anxious and not figuring it out quite yet until I slowly one by one got rid of the coffee and then the cereal and then the newspaper. And I finally figured out after years just to bring myself to the meditation cushion and not get so cluttered with a bunch of other stuff. So I've been working on that for about 20 years or so.
0: So it was something you found to quiet your anxious mind, which is something that I can totally relate to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, especially anxious mind and then going into the profession of mental health where you're dealing with a lot of other people with anxiety and depression and addiction and grief and loss and rage. So you, it takes a special person to stay in the profession and to really be well in the profession of mental health. And that's been my journey to stay well as I move through this profession.
0: So, you know, I was thinking as, as you were talking and I was thinking about interviewing today, I was thinking about my own journey with mindfulness. And I remember I was in a crisis in my life and had a ton of anxiety, like overwhelming anxiety. And I was beginning this profession and someone had given me, I think a book by John Cabot zinn called Full Catastrophe Living. And I started reading that and I started doing mindfulness because I just wanted out of the anxiety.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we all have it and some more than others, but there's a way through it. And once you get it, where you can have the ability to calm your mind down, like, you know, like we're doing right now. So anyone listening to this podcast can actually focus on the breathing and releasing tension. It's a practice, just like recovery is a practice. Same thing with mindfulness
0: right so let's talk a little bit about what mindfulness is or how you bring it to your work or to someone who's struggling with addiction
1: right and you mentioned john kabat-zinn i think his definition of it and he's in massachusetts i think or maybe he's retired by now but His research and his ability to interact with his patients who had medical conditions really set the stage over the last 30 years. But his ability to connect with people by just being in the room with them is pretty special. He thinks of mindfulness as being in the present moment on purpose. And this is the important part, without judgment. So being in the present moment, that's a challenge. Doing it on purpose that takes a little bit extra work. And then this special thing, which I think we all struggle with is without judging, rather than judging, oh, am I doing it right? Or is this the right way to go? Actually, just slowing down and releasing the judgment, letting the thoughts flow through you and out versus getting stuck and having those thoughts hijack your well-being.
0: And that's challenging not to be judgmental. <laughs> I mean, it is because we're judging everything all the time. We're categorizing it. We're putting into different thoughts about it, good, bad. And to be able to just sit there and watch takes some practice.
1: Exactly. It takes practice, just like anything else in life. Like Even if you take a yoga class the first time, it's icky and you really don't want to go back. But once you get into the rhythm of it, of not judging or releasing the judgment, I should say, your brain starts to recalibrate itself. It's the oddest thing that happens, but actually new pathways open up that are less, you know, sticky and more clear and smooth and calm. So it's, you know, you're right. It is a life journey to try to manage the judgment.
0: So someone out there who maybe has never done mindfulness or practice mindfulness, how would this even start?
1: Great question. Well, I believe that it starts with a simple sitting, finding a quiet place in your home or even in the office where you can, you know, have the kids away doing something else for five or 10 minutes and you have a corner of a room, sit down on the chair or on the floor and just close your eyes for five minutes. You can set your timer and when the five minutes is up, you can say, oh, good, I'm done. And just over time, doing it every single day, sometimes once a day or twice a day. It's simple. Hey, we don't need to complicate things. It's just the ability to kind of push aside all the chatter and the clutter of every day and give yourself five minutes of like a mini vacation.
0: Right. And just focus on your breathing or focus on what you're hearing, your sound. I know that when I started, that's how I began was I did a meditation where it was just focusing on my breath and my anxious mind was running all over the place and i would find myself all of a sudden okay i'm gonna sit i'm gonna focus on my breath and maybe like 10 seconds later i'm thinking about that those anxious thoughts or whatever was going on and i'm going oh wait wait i'm meditating again i gotta go (laughs) back and focus on my breath
1: yeah and that's you know it's like you said there's no right way to do this it's just about giving yourself permission to give yourself 5 minutes and literally what the way I do it and I meditated this morning outside looking at my little lake out here my mind is also jumping around too and what I do is I just count to 10 like each breath is a one count so inhale and then exhale that's number 1 and then inhale and exhale that's number 2 and just going all the way up to 10 and if you get stuck and you only get to 2 just start at one again. And so you just want to get to 10 and that's it. So I'm hoping folks can just not complicated, and just make it really simple. Or you can do a walking meditation where you just go for a walk and count the colors of green that you see. Or if you're in the city, you can count the colors of, you know, whatever color gray, I guess. I know in New York there's a lot of gray. So, you know, wherever you are, just give yourself permission to be okay with the anxious thoughts. Those are normal. The mind is designed to think. So you're good. Gratitude for that. And keep going.
0: So my question for someone who might be listening, they would go, well, how is that going to help me? I mean, I got a lot to do here.
1: <laughs> yeah, so there's a part of the brain that needs to calm down and to detox. And we all are super duper busy. And I wish addiction wasn't attached to this busyness, but it could very well be that we don't give ourselves a moment to relax and reflect and have some self-awareness and and what my favorite thing is self-compassion. So giving yourself permission is the number one thing that I recommend for myself and for other folks, especially this year. For some reason, I believe this year is extremely intense. And this year in particular, the ability to start the practice or continue the practice of breathing and sitting is going to be critical for healing.
0: Uh, Definitely. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to be... Anxious about, I guess. But if we have too much anxiety, we don't function very well. So we need just the right amount to help us to take action, but not overwhelm us either.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
0: So in your bio, you also talked about mindfulness, but also building resilience Mm -hmm. in a person, especially maybe a person who is struggling with addiction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's usually a lot of emotions and overwhelming emotions that go along with the addictive process. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Resilience is a wonderful thing. Resilience and self-compassion, I think are the secret ingredients to recovery that I've noticed. So in addiction, my experience working with clients is that their nerve endings are pretty raw. And so it's like, think of just nerve endings just buzzing all the time without any ability to smooth and soothe them over so that there's not a buzzing going on inside the body as well as the mind. So the way I think about resilience is that you actually, with meditation, you can cool down those nerve endings well enough so that you can function and be healthier. So that's the way I think about it. Mindfulness is one way to do it, and resilience also comes in other ways. In other words, wellness like exercising and sleep and nutrition. Obviously, we've heard about that a lot, but to actually slow down enough to practice, like having a smoothie in the morning and having a firm affirmation that gives you a sense of like, you know, I will be well today in my recovery. It's simple. I know my book has 365 affirmations in it, so gift of recovery. So I'm really big on, and my co-author Julie and I are really big on making sure folks have affirmations to help with their resiliency throughout the day.
0: And I think with more resiliency, I mean, when I think about resilience, it's when things get tough and they will because life shows up whether we like it or not, Mm -hmm. that we can be more conscious with our choices and we can make decisions in a way that bring about more health and wellness and, you know, happiness and joy because of those conscious decisions, we can survive those difficult moments.
1: Exactly. Survive and thrive. And that's a big deal in recovery. I mean, folks can white knuckle and survive, but it's the thriving part that is the next level. And that's where you have to kind of drop down. I know when I teach yoga, I have my students drop down into the posture and drop down a little deeper into the experience of just being in the room. And the same thing goes for recovery. Once you survive, you're good. And now we want to kick it into gear so that you can actually, like you said, make good choices, make quality decisions, tell the truth with yourself and with others and reconnect with people.
0: Right. And, you know, one of my experiences with mindfulness has been that what I noticed as I practice mindfulness more and more, I was able to sit with experience longer Mm -hmm. before I took any action on it. And a lot of times it was just like, oh, that's interesting that that emotion is showing up. Yes, And before I didn't even realize I was having that emotion. I just reacted to it. And as I practice mindfulness, sometimes I could just sit and watch the experience without responding. I don't know if that makes any sense.
1: It makes perfect sense. You're curious about your mind. And isn't that awesome to be able to actually be, huh, interesting, a thought. And in mindfulness, you say, oh, a thought, you label it as, oh, thought, and then let it move like a leaf down a stream. So, the idea of having a thought is perfectly normal. And then noticing it as a thought rather than reacting to it right then and there. And as you start releasing and letting go of more thoughts and feelings, you come to a very smooth mind. It's very peaceful. And there's a sense of, like you said, joy, deeper joy, not just like a smiley face joy, but this is a deeper kind of joy we're talking about here.
0: Like a contentment almost, a... I don't know how else to describe it.
1: Yes, okayness is, you know, that's exactly it. I completely feel that. Part of it too, Dwayne, is this sense of self-forgiveness. This may sound odd, but I personally, after 23 years of being a psychologist in San Diego, I had a long day working at a hospital. And in the evening, like a lot of mental health professionals, I had a private practice. So you're working, you know, 10, 11, 12 hours a day. And I got in my car to drive home and I just put my hand over my heart, and I said, I forgive you. (laughs) It just came out like that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I forgave myself for choosing such a difficult profession and for just saying, it's okay. You chose this profession, and that's fantastic. It is a difficult profession. And I just kind of had an epiphany of self-forgiveness. And I think in addiction also, there's this sense to put your hand on your heart and forgive yourself for whatever transgressions or whatever has gone on in the past and be at peace slowly.
0: Yes, absolutely. And that's something else you also talked about in your bio is that resilience and then this part of self-compassion.
1: Yes, oh my gosh, that is everything. It's so funny because you know, for me, I just kind of white knuckled through my education. I was, you know, type A, definitely hardcore research and treatment and thought I was everything. And then I just, like a lot of mental health professionals, I mean, I just at this point now just like, oh, you know, I need to be kind to myself. And self compassion is about treating yourself like a f- best friend would treat you. That's what self compassion is to me. And your best friend isn't going to berate you and be mean to you and say, oh my God, what a crazy thing to do. Your best friend's going to be like, hmm, yeah, you know, that was a rough thing, rough patch. It's okay. You're okay now. Hang in there. You know, that's kind of what I think about self compassion.
0: Yeah. You know, when we've been in the grips of addiction, most of the time, You know, we've done a lot of things that are against our own values, against our own beliefs, and we can be incredibly hard on ourselves and incredibly judgmental of ourselves. Yes. And mindfulness, as you practice it, gives you the ability to go, wait a minute, let me be a little bit kinder to myself here.
1: Yeah, even speaking to you right now, I feel like this is a kindness moment. I've, even you're hearing your voice personally, I just had a breath and I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> it's really happening right now. And that can happen for folks in recovery all the time. You can have just moments, just like a minute, a glimpse, a half a minute of someone being kind to you or you being kind to yourself. And just those add up, those moments add up and then you become a gentler person, I think.
0: I think that's absolutely so true.
1: Mm, Yeah, it's everything.
0: Right. And I think going back to the other part, back to the beginning, that this doesn't happen necessarily on the first time you practice mindfulness. It's something that you cultivate over time.
1: Exactly. I mean, just like taking yoga or any other skill. It took me four years of taking yoga to come up with this epiphany. When I become more flexible, I become more flexible. I know that doesn't sound like much after four years of taking yoga. But for me, it was like, oh, my God, when my body's more flexible, my mind is more flexible. But that took a long time. So same with recovery. It's going to take time for small Improvements, small adjustments to start feeling well again and give yourself, you know, the benefit of the doubt.
0: Yeah, I remember reading a study somewhere and I don't know where I read this, but basically they took people who had struggled with, I think it was sex addiction and they put them through a mindfulness course. They just needed to do, I think it was like 14 minutes a day of mindfulness practice for like six weeks and they had put them in a brain scanner prior to the study and then after the study and they could see the area of their brain that was associated with self-compassion and kindness uh, actually was lit up more in just six weeks.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And yeah, so hey, why not start right now. It's worth it. I mean, that's research that's going to actually benefit all of us. And if the other person's kind in the grocery store, it's an, a synergistic effect that could happen. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. So you, I got copies of both of your books, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. The first one is The Gift of Recovery, that's 52 Mindful Ways to Live Joyfully Beyond Addiction and then your mindfulness workbook for addiction. So, tell me a little bit about what motivated you to write those.
1: Yeah, I wrote these book with Julie Craft, my co-author. The earlier book, Mindfulness Workbook for Addiction, Julie Craft was my intern, my marriage family therapy intern at the hospital where we worked. I was supervising her and we were talking about clients back and forth as we normally do to make sure everyone's going along great. And I just felt a spark in her. And I really wanted to work with her more. And so we started talking about addiction. And actually, we started talking about loss and addiction, how that there wasn't a lot of information on clients who were experiencing loss. A lot of veterans that we worked with were experiencing loss and trauma. And we started connecting the dots. And that's why this Mindfulness Workbook for Addiction came about. I've been working with Julie for 10, 11 years now, we had our second book, Gift of Recovery. And that's really like a companion book. That's a day-to-day. Pick it up, put it in your hand, open to any page that resonates with you and read a one-page chapter and look at some affirmations to kind of stay on the road to recovery and be joyful on that road to recovery. So we were... Banding about whether we should put the word joyfully in the title because most people in recovery, that's the last thing they think about. They really are still struggling with a lot of negative emotions. So, but we really thought that. There's a way to be well and joyful in your your first year of recovery.
0: Oh, I think that's so important. I'm glad you put that in the title, joyful, because (laughs) a lot of times when people are in the grips of addiction and they come in for treatment and they're looking for help, they can be in a really dark space. And yeah, joy is the last thing that they even think might be possible.
1: Right. Absolutely. And yes, thank you for saying that. It's a good thing to put in the book. And I love the fact that folks are picking it up. Mindfulness Workbook for Addiction is being used in prisons, which I'm really proud of, and recovery centers and teen centers. And it's easy enough for folks to go through in a group setting and use the chapters and the exercises and the handouts to do a whole group, you know, so that's kind of fun.
0: Yeah, to be able to get the support and that it's not, it's accessible. You know people Mm -hmm. can pick this up and do it and it doesn't take being mindfulness it practicing mindfulness doesn't take anything but a willingness
1: exactly yeah and you know like we said earlier it's okay to fall you know away from it come back to it the mindfulness it's okay to have a bad day when you're doing meditation be agitated and irritable. Those are all normal, okay things. And that doesn't mean things aren't working. Sometimes things are kind of detoxing emotionally as you get into mindfulness. A lot of people are cry or are agitated and you know, it does release a lot of affect emotions.
0: Definitely. You can be present with that and non-judgmental about it. Exactly and let that process through your body.
1: Mm, yeah. You named your center mindful.
0: Yeah. Novus mindful life yeah yeah because you know mindfulness was a big part of my life and that's how I wanted to live was more mindfully
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah
0: definitely so if anybody's listening to this podcast and maybe they're thinking about this or maybe they're struggling with addiction or loss or grief or they're in a difficult space what would you want to tell them
1: be kind to yourself That's what I want to tell folks. Don't complicate things. The out there, like you said, is very busy and complicated and inside can be very calm and peaceful. So have compassion for your journey and remember to return to wellness along the way.
0: Awesome. That's great. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Rebecca, for coming on and sharing your wisdom. How can people find you if they want more information? Where can they go? How can they get in contact with you?
1: Sure. You can find me at mindfulnessworkbook.com. There's some information on that site as well as any providers or mental health people who are listening and need to get continuing education units. There's a whole section on how to read the workbook or the gift of recovery and get continuing education units if you need those for your licensure. So that's another bonus there.
0: Awesome. That's great. And once again, I'll put all those in the show notes as well so people can just go to theaddictedmind.com and find that information. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind Podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Dwayne. It was so nice speaking with you today.
0: All right, everyone. Thank you for listening once again. All the show notes will be at the addictedmind.com forward slash ninety-two. And I want to thank all the people out there who have written and review for the addicted mind podcast on iTunes. I really appreciate it. And if you're enjoying the podcast and you think it's helpful, please write a review or even share the podcast with a friend. I really appreciate that. And think about joining our Facebook group, go to Facebook and type in the addicted mind podcast and click join. And you can continue the conversation online there as well. All right, everybody, I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll talk to you on the next episode. Take care.